through the book of Second Corinthians because uh, we're getting ready to kick off here after the first of the year, taking a group of men and women who really want to be part of a, uh, a ministry that's going to really be able to work one-on-one with people and help them. We have so many people that come in, uh, so many people that have struggles in their life, and many of them get saved, and uh, we, we want to be able to meet them on whatever level uh, their, their spiritual issues are. So, you know, we've been around now for a while, and we've got, you, got a good base in the Bible, and a host of you are ready to move into that next uh, arena of ministry. So we've been coming through this book because Second Corinthians is the handbook of ministry. It really gives us chapter by chapter everything that we need to know. And when we get into chapter uh, 5 of Second of Corinthians, we, uh, we've been dealing with our perspective on ministry. And I showed you how that there's three different distinct perspectives that this chapter gives us. First of all, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we saw the perspective of the judgment seat of Christ. Our relationship and how we should view the fact that someday we're going to stand before God and we are going to give an account for what we've done with what God has given us after we have been saved. The second aspect that we looked at last week was chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. And you should have these broken down in your Bible now. And that is our perspective of the ministry. How we look at what God has called us to do. And of course, that's vital. Now today, we're going to look at chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. And really, this is going to be an introduction to it. I want to begin what I think probably is the single greatest aspect of your Christian life as far as its walk, your walk with the Lord. What we're going to start to talk about today, and this is why I want to take the time to get it laid out that you understand it. When you start to work with people, you start to help people, you're going to use this over and over and over again. If you're here and you're somebody who's just gotten saved, or maybe you just got plugged back into the Bible, Uh, then this is going to be invaluable to you because it's going to help you uh, get a a better understanding of where you're at. And getting this down or not getting this down, uh, when you start to see what we're going to talk about, as far as I'm concerned, in my opinion, this is the number one reason why people don't make it past two or three years and go into churches. And we've all seen it all of our lives. I know I've been in the ministry many years, and, and I, I've seen it where people come. They, they, they profess to get saved. Uh, they, you start to see them come to church, and then uh, shortly thereafter, you know, a year, two years, many times six months, even a couple of months there, you never see them again. Something happens in a person's life that makes that transpire when they don't get what they need to get. And I'm going to show you that today. As you work with people... Uh, you're going to, this is stuff that you must get down. And you can look at this today. If you're going to, if you're going to count yourself as someone who's going to get into this aspect of ministry, then you need to look at this today as, as a class for you. You need to look at this today as something that between this week and next week, you need to get down. It'll save you a lot of time when we get a little farther into it after the first of the year, but you're going to use this material all the time and you need to understand it. Like I said, if you're just a young Christian, uh, you'll have the opportunity, I think, if you get this down and learn some things today, you have an opportunity to to grow um, today in just a short time that you're here. Maybe what would it take you six months to a year just plodding it along and going through the Bible? You know, I, I have an open policy that in our church that anybody that wants to study the Bible, 
uh, I'll spend an hour a week with. Well, now it's probably got there every other week, sometimes every other every month, because uh, a lot of people come and take advantage of that. But that's one of the greatest things that, that I ever did. And, and I'll tell you why it is. And I say this to you guys all the time, and it's open to anybody. You don't have to be a member of the church. If you've got questions about the Bible or you want to come in and just get an update on some things you're studying, it doesn't matter. The reason why that is so important is this, is that when you come over, and I say it all the time, we'll spend an hour together. You'll ask me maybe nine or ten different things that we will lay out and go through. When you go out of there after just one hour, you probably are farther ahead than you would have been if you'd have just stayed plucking along with it, trying to figure it out yourself. It might have taken you six months to a year to get it. Anytime you can go in with a number of things that that you want to know and you want to learn, and you get those answers, it facilitates everything about your Christian life. You go out of there with eight or nine things under your belt that all connect back to other things in the Bible. That's vital in doing that. That's what we're going to do uh, today and next week. And we do it every week, but in particular, you're going to see how important this is because the third aspect that we're going to talk about and get our perspective on is ourselves. And that'll be chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Now, I said, to me, in my own opinion, this is the number one issue that, that is the most underlying issue why God's people don't make it not seeing themselves as God sees them, and not understanding what really changed about them the day they got saved. It's a fundamental issue. It's like trying to study American history without a concept of understanding of our founding fathers. It's impossible. Trying to recognize what God has done in your life and trying to find your way to be what God wants you to be without fundamentally understanding what changed about you the day you got saved how God looks at you at this point, and most important, how you should view yourself. You know, I deal with a lot of people, have for many, many years. That's one of the main problems that people have. People come up in bad childhoods. They come up in in bad relationships. Many times their parents have told them that they're stupid, they're no good, and that they're worthless, and they grow up in that environment, and then when they get to be 18 or 19, that's the opinion they have of themselves. I've seen women uh, in abusive relationship. I've seen men in abusive relationship where the other spouse will, will always be telling that person, you're ugly, you're fat, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're all of these things. And, and it forms what people say about us. It forms, it forms our opinion about ourselves when you hear it day after day after day after day. When a person gets saved, The verse we're going to talk about today is a powerful verse. But what happens when you get saved, if you don't change in time, and you still go in that mindset that you're ugly, or you're stupid, or you're dumb, or you're ineffective, or whatever it is, if at some point in your life, if you don't learn to look at yourself and see you now as God sees you, this is what will defeat you. The fact that you just get saved doesn't solve all of your problems. The fact that you get saved gives you the ability to solve all your problems, but they just don't go away. And when I start to work with people, many times they have a very bad self-image of themselves. 
Many times they have a very, uh, a very fragile because, uh, you know, they look at themselves through uh, the, the mold that has been formed by what their parents or friends or, or other people have said about them. And once you get saved, it's just simply not true anymore. Not seeing themselves as God sees them and not understanding what really changed about them the day they got saved. You know, it's a true statement and I say it all the time. Sin never leaves a man any better than it finds him. And that's an absolute true statement. It's absolutely true. The world never leaves a person better than it finds them. And in dealing with people, and I've told you this before, when you deal with people, I classify problems with people in three levels. I do that based on a model in the Bible that I'm going to give you here that I don't think I've ever really given you before. So you'll want to get that down when we get there. But I look at people's problems, and I, I, I kind of graduate them in three levels. You'll have some people that'll come into church, and they'll have issues, and they're really not major issues. They'll struggle with some things in life, and, you know, many times it's just the fact that they've never been in the right place at the right time with the right Bible to get what they want. And they're frustrated, and maybe their life is kind of a dead-end street, but not because they've got any major sin in their life simply because of the fact that they're, they're looking for something, and when they find it, boy, they go to work, and it's very easy. Many of you deal with people like that, and I call that level one. On level two, now you have a few more serious issues. On level two, you have people who are, are dealing with uh, uh, maybe a marital problems, or they're dealing with self-image problems, or they got maybe a, a, a sin problem that they're struggling with. And uh, many times uh, we deal with people that are in that level. Then you have the third level. And the third level is, 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 is major issues. Third level is what you find in the Bible where it talks about uh, what we talk about satanic attacks or satanic strongholds. Maybe it's a drug addiction. Maybe it's an alcohol addiction. Maybe it's some uh, personal problem that is really uh, has a deep hold on you that you're trying to struggle through. And uh, in dealing with people, you're going to see these three levels all the time. And in helping people, all you're doing, in dealing with people, all that you're doing is trying to undo in their life what the world has done. That's all you're really doing. There's no great magical, uh, you know, formula to helping people. The world never leaves a man better than it finds him. And you're going to find in just a second that people get into three levels of problems. And your job and my job is simply to help them undo on whatever level they're on what the world has done to them. Now, I say that uh, because there's three great models in the Bible. Some people are level one, some people are level two, some people are level three, level three. But the great truth is that in the Bible, in three particular places in the Gospels, you find three people who represent what I'm talking about today. You find three people who, when you read the stories, they're dead. And when they're dead, they, the Lord comes in, and the Lord resurrects them and brings them back to life. Now, let me explain this to you. You're going to find in the Bible, especially in the Gospels, that every story you find about a dead person who gets life, it's a picture of an unsaved person who gets saved. A dead person may be physically dead in our story, but we know the Bible illustrates that by there was a time before you and I were saved that you and I were dead in trespasses of sin. We were dead to Christ. We were dead to the things of God. 
and we were dead as far as any spiritual thing in us. But then there was a day when we found the Lord Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior. And at that day, the Bible says we pass from death unto life, out of the darkness into the light. God saved us, and by saving us, he resurrected us from this old filthy world and the death that we were in, and now he gives us a new life in Christ Jesus. Every time you find that in the Bible, you can just take it for granted. That's the spiritual picture. The spiritual picture of a dead man coming to life is a picture of you and me before we were saved. We were dead in trespasses of sin, but when we got saved, we become alive in Christ Jesus. They're marvelous studies. Ah, but in the New Testament, there's three particular ones. And this is where I talk about, I get my concept of three levels. Because these three people show us they're all dead, they all have an encounter with the Lord, and they all get life. But each one of them is a little bit different as you study them. The first one's found in Mark chapter 5, verse 40. And the Bible tells us that this is a 12-year-old child. And she's dead. Christ comes in and, and he, he brings her back to life and straight away, the Bible says, straight away she arises and she, she, uh, she, she walks. Bible adds to it in Luke chapter 8, verse 55, that Jesus says, give her meat. Now, we know that meat in the Bible is a picture of Bible doctrine. So here's a little gal that's 12 years old. And when she's dead and Christ brings her back to life, immediately she gets up she walks, and Jesus says, give her meat. You see, some people don't have the impact of sin in their life like other people do. Some people, uh, they haven't had all the issues that somebody else does. When they get saved, they can pretty much get up and get going right out of the chute. You don't have a lot of things you got to undo in their life. They're that first level. They're easy to deal with. You don't have to stand there and work through a lot of problems and you don't have multiple marriages or you don't have this problem or that problem. They're just people who were lost or who have just gotten saved who struggle with basic things, but the moment they see the Word of God, they're up and gone and you can give them the Bible. That's your first level, you see. Then there's another story. We found this in Luke chapter 7, uh, verse uh, 11 through 15. Now, in this story, the guy's a little older. He's in his 30s or his 40s. Bible doesn't really tell us how old he is, but I need him for this story to be about 30 or 40. <laughs> he's an older guy. And he's dead. And when he gets life, he sits up and he talks, but he doesn't just take off and go. In fact, the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus gives him back to his mother. You see, some people can get up and get going and get saved and come into life, and man, they're ready to go because they don't have a lot of baggage they got to deal with. Then you have guys like this who get up and sit up and speak, but you don't see him taking off and going like the young girl did. Some people need some more help, and he represents our second level. There's some people when they get saved or they come into the church and they have problems, their problems are a little more complicated. Uh, they're not like level ones. They're, they're someone who, who needs some, a little more help. Nothing drastic, and, and, you know, but you've got to work with them. In their case, maybe they have a problem with drinking. Maybe they have a problem with smoking. Maybe they have a problem with some sin in their life. Maybe they're having some marital issues. You know, marital issues aren't always, I mean, some of them are very easy to fix. 
Some of them, the longer they go, the harder they are to fix. But we have people come in here that, that have little knockdown drag outs that, that come in. And all it takes is getting on the same page with the same Bible and getting a little direction and, and figuring out what your job is, what your job is, and, and quit telling him what, how bad he is. Quit telling her how bad she is. Just look and see how bad you both are, and it'll work out just fine. See, they don't get complicated. That's this level. So we have one gal who was 12 years old, and the moment she got newness of life and, and, and got alive, she's up and gone, man. And they've given her the Bible. Then you have this guy who he's dead. When he gets life, he doesn't move quite as fast. He sits up and he speaks, but he, you don't see anywhere in the text where he's running off and doing anything. And many of you, when you came in here, you had some issues that were not major, but we had to work through them. Then you have the third one. Three levels in dealing with people's problems. And you want to get this down and remember this if you're going to work with me in that aspect of it. And the third example is found in John chapter 11. And that'll be in the story of Lazarus. And Lazarus now is a whole different story. Lazarus represents our third level. And Lazarus is dead. He's an old man now. He's not, he's not, he's not a kid like the first one or he's not middle-aged or something in 20 or 30s like the second one. No, Lazarus is probably 70, 80 years old. He's got grown daughters, Mary and Martha, he's got, or sisters. He's got, he's, he's a, he's got a, he's a, he's an older guy. He's been around for a long time. And when he's dead, it wasn't like an hour ago with a young gal or uh, this, he, he'd been in the, he's been in a tomb for four days. In fact, the Bible goes even so far to tell you that he's, he's, he's beginning to decompose. They said he stinks. Been in there four days. Have you ever been in the Middle East in the summertime? It's hot. And being dead without being embalmed and being in the cave, yeah, I guess he probably is. So he represents somebody for us who's been in sin for a long time. And I want you to notice that when he gets life and he comes out of that tomb, he can't do anything. You know why? Because he's bound in those grave clothes. And those grave clothes represent for you and for me a life of sin in a man's life. Remember Samson? Remember I told you Samson's life is a great picture of a child of God who winds up a spiritual suicide? And when you study Samson's life, Samson is a picture of a third-level scenario that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Samson gets in screwed up all his life. From day one till the day he died, he's always had a fellowship with God and doing something wrong. And there's a three little point outline I gave you about Samson and sin. And you find it throughout, throughout the life of Samson. And it's such a, a great little study to put in your life and my life because it's true of what sin does. Remember now, sin never leaves a man enter better than it finds him. And when we study Samson's life, we find that sin blinded him. Then we found that sin, sin bound him. And then we found that sin grinded him. And we find that those three aspects are a picture of a man or a woman who gets so far into sin for so long that when they do get saved, they got some issues. He didn't just come out of the tomb and said, hey, here I am, let's get going. No, it took a number of people. And Jesus said, gives the command, loose him and let him go. You know why? Because it took a number of people to unwind all the grave clothes that had wrapped him around in his death. And many times when you and I get into sin and we, uh, before we're saved and we go forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, 
and you finally do get saved, it takes some unwinding. You don't just walk away from that. You know, the grave clothes pictures the years of being wrapped up in sin and, 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 and bound by them and many times grounded by them. The fact that they grind you. Now you have health issues. Now you have this. Now you have that. Now you have uh, problems that have compounded themselves. There's two factors that you'll always want to remember in dealing with sin. First one is the longevity of sin. And the second one is the degree of sin. Some sins are very passive. When I mean by passive, I mean they don't have a lot of consequences with them. I mean, you can do, you can lie to your mother and I mean, you get caught about it and you get scolded or whatever, but there's no real consequences. You can steal this or steal that, steal your neighbor's something and, and not take it back. And you can, there's no real consequences to that. But there are some sins that have tremendous uh, consequences, and I call them aggressive sins. They're like aggressive cancer. You can get prostate cancer. There's a 90% chance of curing that. They catch it early. I mean, it's 100% curable because it's not very aggressive. But there are stages of cancer that you can get in your pancreas or other places in your body that are so aggressive that it kills you before you know it. Sin's the same way. Now, I'm not saying that there's a good sin and a bad sin. All sin is bad. I'm, my point is, in dealing with people, some sin are more passive than others. Some sin doesn't take the, take the, does the damage that others does. But these three examples here show you exactly how I look at dealing with people and their problems. And in a nutshell, that's how you deal with people, three basic levels. And you need to, you know, you need to get that down and understand that. But in every case whether it's level one, level two, or level three. The person you're dealing with or yourself, if you're here this morning, will have to, in time, get to an understanding of two things in life. And if you don't get these two things down, you ain't going anywhere. The devil will always defeat you. There will always be somebody in your world that will stop you. You'll always let somebody else say something to you that'll hurt your feelings or do this or do that or crush your spirit. And you will never move beyond that until you get these next two things down that you have to get in time. And when you're dealing with people, when you're helping people, when I'm helping people, this is my underlying goal. I have lots of people that come in to see me over the years that, that have self-identity problems. They, 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 to the point that some of them can't even function being in crowds. Uh, they can't be around people at all. And uh, that's, a, that, that's, a, that's the extreme case of it. But I'm telling you, the only way you're going to fix that is to understand these next two things that, that everybody needs to get to in your life inside. The first one is understanding how God views you now that you're saved. That's vital. That doesn't sound like much, but it is everything in the Christian life. How God views you now that you're saved. Absolutely vital. The second thing is how you view yourself now that you're saved. Those two things will make you or break you no matter who you think you are or what you know about the Bible. Because the greatest aspect of this chapter that for in, in ministry and doing what you want to do is the perspective of how you and I view ourselves. How you and I view ourselves. You know life is never going to give you a fair, a fair shot. Life is always going to give you the short end of the stick. That's the way it's supposed to go. 
People get into ministry and they think the ministry is grandioso and great. Well, being in a ministry is an incredible, great thing, and it's the greatest job in the world as far as I'm concerned. But I want to tell you something. There ain't no glory in it any way, shape, or form if you do what you're supposed to do because everybody in the world is going to take a sheep shot at you and hate you. And life's going to treat you the same way. Life's going to do the exact same thing. And if you're not secure in one, how God looks at you, then in time, you're going to worry about how everybody else looks at you instead of how God looks at you. And if you're not insecure of how you view yourself in Christ, then the first time somebody comes up and says, you're ugly, you're dumb, you're stupid, or some terrible thing that they're going to say, you're going to let it bother you. You're going to get to the point where it's going to take from you what God has for you. Why? Because you let what that person thinks about you override what God thinks about you. And the very fact is you don't know what God thinks about you. It's important. You may never smoke, you may never drink, you may never do all the great sins that we say will cancel you out of ministry. It doesn't matter. These two will kill you before you get started because they have to do with how you view God and how you view yourself. One of the simplest forms that I showed you a couple of weeks ago, and I've told it to you many, many times, is that little format, sinner, son, and servant. Now, all that, and I like putting things in little three-point phrases so I can remember them. But that little thing right there shows you how God looks at you. Sinner, son, and servant. You'd be surprised at how many people don't know how God looks at them. And I told you, when God died on the cross, he looked at you as a sinner. The moment you get saved, he no longer looks at you as a sinner. Now he looks at you as his son. And he deals with you as your son. Now, once you go to the judgment seat of Christ, then he doesn't deal with you as a sinner. He doesn't deal with you as son. He deals with you as a servant. Understanding that little basic three-point outline begins to form and bring into focus how God looks at you. Now, it's much more complicated than that. Well, not really, but, that's, but it, a little more we've got to talk about. God's people today, uh, you heard me say it many times, and it's a true statement. God's people today know a lot of things about the Bible, but God's people today simply don't know the Bible. They just don't. I mean, it's, and it's the same way in our Christian lives, in our walk. We, we view our relationship with God through a system of terms. We do. We, re, we view our relationship with God. We talk about being saved. We talk about being redeemed. We talk about born again. Somebody says, I'm washed in the blood. We talk about the word salvation or regeneration. You see, we, we view our Christian life and our relationship with God through a system of terms that we really don't understand. And that's why we're so shallow. We know the words, but we have no idea how to apply them or what they really mean. I mean, the words saved, born again, salvation, those are Christian words we recognize, but we don't know how to explain them or how they really affected us. And that's why we have so much heresy in the church. That's why there's so much bad teaching. That's why you have the ideas in the teaching that you can lose your salvation. When a person teaches you that you can lose your salvation, I don't know if you know it or not, but I already know at that point I'm dealing with somebody who has no clue about the Bible and what really happened the day you got saved. Because if you really knew what happened the day you got saved and you knew who you were in Christ, you'd never even entertain that idea. Never would. Never would. People talk about, well, have you got the second grace? People talk about, well, have you got the second blessing? And I always say, no, I've only been married once. I have only had the first one. 
they come up with all these ideas that have nothing to do with reality in the Bible. The truth of the matter is, when you understand what happened the day you got saved, somebody says, have you been baptized in the Holy Ghost since you believed? Yes, I have. The men and I did believe. But you got people out there that think that you get saved and then you get the Holy Ghost later. You know why that is? Because they do not know what happened to you the day you got saved. And that's the problem. That's the problem. All because God's people don't really understand the biblical process of salvation or what really happened the day they got saved. They can't define it. I mean, come on. If you're saved here this morning, what's different about you? Anything? I mean, what happened inside you the instant you got saved? What transpired in that moment? What changed from the second that you were a sinner now that when you got saved, you're now God's child? And what's the process? I don't want the terminology. What was the process that transpired? Do you know? If somebody said, if somebody come up to you and said, what happened the day you got saved? Would you be relegated to those basic terms? Well, I got born again. Well, I got redeemed. Those are terms. What really happened? What changed about you? What made, obviously there's a change. You're here this morning instead of at a bar. Maybe you were at a bar last night, but I'm still glad you came this morning. <laughs> Something changed. You care about the things of God now where you didn't care about them before. Something changed. Something happened. Can you explain it? You see, when you can't explain it, then there's no way you're going to know now how God looks at you. You say, well, I'm God's child. Certainly you are. But can you explain how you're God's child? Can you explain what physiologically and spiritually took place? Inside you that made you God's child? No, you can't. So you know the terminology, but you view your relationship through that terminology all your life. But you can't explain it to yourself and certainly can't explain it to somebody else. This is the problem. This is what happened. I mean, what happened to your soul? Anything? What happened to your body? Anything? What effect did salvation have on your spirit? Anything? I mean, you're a body, soul, and spirit. Are they all the same? What is the difference? Now, the answer to all of that above is found, obviously, in the Bible. But as you come through the Bible, there's some great books that begin to lay it out. The books of Romans are tremendous books of telling us why, what we should believe and why we should believe it and shows you that process. The book of Colossians, especially Colossians chapter 2. The book of Ephesians, an incredible book that tells you about the process and defines the process of your body, soul, and spirit. Bible says all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 that when God made you, he made you a trichotomy. God made man after God's own image. God is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. So when God made man, he made him after that image. Man has a body, soul, and a spirit. Each one of those lines up to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a trichotomy. And, at the t- and, you know, and you know what happened. Adam, Adam, uh, Adam sinned in the garden, and, and when he sinned in the garden, he lost that image. So now Adam is in a place where he's in a fallen an image. He has a body, he has a soul, but now he has a dead spirit. And in the Old Testament, Adam's body and his soul stuck together. They're one. They're stuck together. 
And that's why the Bible says, the soul that sinneth it shall die. That's why you want to remember in the Old Testament, they'll use the word body and soul interchangeably. Because in the Old Testament, after the fall of Adam, they're stuck together. Now, you know what happened the day you got saved? Are you going to get the whole process today? One, if you're a young Christian, you need to know this. And two, if you're going to work with me with people, you certainly need to know it for where we're going next week. This is like an introduction. The process uh, at the time of salvation, it's a, it's, it's a miracle. It's unbelievable. Something happened. And what happened was the Bible calls it an operation made without hand. Wow. Bible calls it a circumcision. And what God did the moment you got saved is he took the word of God and he separated your soul from your flesh. Where before you were stuck together and you were a sinner, God could not fellowship with you. He could have nothing to do with you because you're in sin and he's holy. And God had to make a way because he wanted to fellowship with you and me. He wanted to redeem his fallen creation. So what he did was, what he did was, is he came down and he made a way. And when he made that way through the cross of Calvary, then at the point of salvation, something changes. And the thing that changes you about you is a, is a spiritual operation called a circumcision made without hands. Circumcision. That sounds familiar. Oh, back in the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. Remember? Remember that it was Abraham that was given a, uh, by God, it was given the, a concept of circumcision? What was circumcision in the Old Testament? Oh, I know. I remember. You took that baby after it was born, and you took a knife, and you cut away on the part of that little boy's anatomy that had to do with birth and had to do with seed, and you took the flesh from it, and you did it on the eighth day. Now, doctors will tell you that a baby's blood begins to coagulate and begins to uh, clot as though they, on the eighth day, and that's why they waited on the eighth day. And I have no argument with that. I, I, that's probably true. I'm not a doctor, but I am the best one practicing without a license. <laughs> that may be true. But I'm going to tell you this. In the Bible, the number eight stands for new beginnings. And our verse today is, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things become new. And the day you got saved, you got spiritually circumcised, your flesh from your soul, you got, became a new creature. All things became new, a new beginning. So in the Old Testament type, which pictures that in a physical sense, they did it on the eighth day. Oh, it's, it's, the, it's the beauty of the way the Bible goes together. Now, that operation made without hand through a spiritual knife cuts away the flesh from the soul, and now you're two personalities. Now you're a schizo. You go to your psychiatrist and he says, you have a second personality. You do. You have an old nature and you have a new nature. You are a schizo. There's nothing wrong with having a two natures. Two, it's when you have a third one you got to watch out for. <laughs> I talked to one lady one time who had 14 different personalities living inside her. I said, well, let me talk to the one that, that, that will understand what I'm saying the most. I don't need the other 13. You, you, it's all right to have two. When you got saved, you now have new nature and an old nature. Paul calls it the old man and the new man. And we know what they are, the old nature. We just didn't know how we got it. The old nature is the flesh. The new nature is your soul. And uh, it's, it's okay. You, you, this is where your conflict is. 
Paul says, the things I don't want to do, the things that I do and the things I should do, the things I don't want to do, they're the ones that I do and I'm just a mess all the way over. You know why? Because he felt that battle. You and I have that battle. That's why before you got saved, you really didn't care what you did wrong. But the moment you get saved, it makes a difference now. The moment you get saved, you may not be right. If you've been saved this morning, you may not be right with God here today. But I will say something for you. You know you're not right with God. You know why? Because the day you got saved, not only did he separate, not only did he separate the soul from the flesh, but then the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, he takes your soul because that's eternal. Your flesh is this old body. It's going back to the grave. So he separates the eternal part from the physical part, and then he seals your soul. Ephesians 4, verse 30, with his Holy Spirit. Now he can fellowship with you. See, he has separated the one from the other, the filthy one from the clean one, and then he sealed it, saved it, and now he fellowships through that soul. Ephesians chapter 1, here's another great verse, and he'll use this a lot, 1 verse 13. In whom ye also trust, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. See that thing? Now that's a great title, Holy Spirit of promise. In other words, when you got the Holy Spirit of God, there's some promises that come with it. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Now get this. The fact that your soul has been separated from your flesh and now you're sealed with the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to fellowship with God. That's how it works. It's just that simple. So next time somebody asks you, now you know. It's just that simple. I would, I would go home and I would look up Colossians. Well, we'll get to some more verses here. I'd look it up all these verses and I, I'd get a better understanding. You need to come over and help me lay it out for you. Thursday night, I'll be glad to go into any more detail, even though we're not done yet with it today. We'll get some more, but I want to help you get this. Let me give you a great verse. Turn over to 1 John, not the gospel, but the one back there before Revelation. 1 John chapter 3. This shows you what I'm just talking about. that I want to show you the problems we have today and why we got them. <clears throat> First John chapter 3. Now you want to learn this. First John chapter 3 verse 9. <clears throat> one of the most misapplied and tore up verses in all the Bible. It says, verse 9. First John chapter 3 verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now you see that? That verse right there says that if you're born of God here this morning, you cannot sin. I'll say it again. If you're born of God here this morning and you're saved, that Bible says you cannot sin. Now I'm going to give you a problem. Same book. First chapter. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. I just gave you a verse, 1 John 3, 9. If we, who are born of God and not commit sin. Now look at this one. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in it. Wow, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> one verse says, if you're born of God, you do not commit sin. The other verse says, if, you, if I just said that, I'm deceiving myself and the truth is not in me. 
Wow. Contradiction. Now, these two verses have caused many a heart attack and severe cases of indigestion for many Bible preachers and teachers. It really has. And here's how they handle it. Well, since these two verses contradict each other, one verse says, whosoever is born of God will not commit sin. The other one says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, uh, we can't have no contradictions in the Bible. So, uh, I mean, uh, I'm going to tell you this. If, I don't know where you go to church if you don't go here. And I probably didn't do this because this is a cheap shot at the guy that's preaching where you go, but this is what you got to do. The true test of a pastor's medal, well, what he does with these two verses. Ask him. Go up to him and say, hey, preacher, I really enjoyed your sermon. Didn't understand much of it, but thank you for it anyhow. <laughs> He'll say, well, that's, thank you very much. You get your offering in? Yeah, I did. Okay, good. <laughs> 1 John 1, 3 says this. 1 John 1, 8 says this. What's the difference? You know what he's going to tell you? I'm going to tell you what he's going to tell you. You see, they come to the point where they don't know what to do with it. They don't add up, so one of them must be wrong. I mean, God forbid that it could be I didn't understand or read it and didn't study it or sell myself approved. So when they get those two verses, one that says that who is born of God do not commit sin. The other one says, he that says they have no sin, the liar. You know what they do? They go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, and they say, well, that's a mistranslation. It doesn't mean commit sin. It should be, say, practice sin. Now, see, that works. Because as a Christian, you should not practice sin. But we all practice it very well. But I say, if, if, we, if, if sin was a trumpet, we'd all be named Harry James. <laughs> see, this is what happens. When they don't know who Harry James is. <laughs> it doesn't say practice. In the new Bibles, they say, well, that's a mistranslation. So they take out commit and they said, well, we know that we commit sin because verse 1, 8 says it, so we can't have that. So it must be wrong. God forbid I could be wrong. It must be wrong. So we'll change it to practice. Well, I got some news for you, pal. In some places in the New Bibles, they say, well, we'll take out commit and we'll say, should not continue in sin. Well, you shouldn't continue in sin. But I got news for you. The verse stands. If you're saved this morning, you don't commit sin. I'll explain it to you in a second. I'm not done yet. I'm having some fun right now. So they take 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, and they take the word commit and change it to practice or continue in. Now, they do that. They do that. They do that because, as I've already said, they do not have a clue of what happened to you the day you got saved. And when you don't understand the process that I just walked you through very basically, I'm going to go through it real deep here in a little bit. When you don't understand the concept of that operation, spiritual circumcision, you don't see that thing go. When you see those two verses, it's got to be a contradiction because I don't understand what really happened. Uh Uh-huh. Now, I don't know where you live. I live in Raytown. Intellectual capital of the world, the rival of Alexandria, Egypt, <clears throat> in its heyday. 
But last week we were sitting there, or, and oh, I didn't even see him. I was downstairs. Barb was upstairs, and she said, "We got a CD," and it was given out by a church of area pastors. And I think it was probably because they want people to come to their church. And it, and it, and it, and it coming down through there. It was a. It, they had one guy who was preaching a salvation message. Well, it wasn't a bad message. And then you had eight or nine other pastors that all chimed in. And on this little, this little DVD, it said, 11 most asked questions that people have. Now, I know what they were doing. I know what they were doing. They were putting that out there because, hopefully, you know, it's not like, it's, it's not like you know, fishing with a real fishing rod. No, this is like a trot line. You put it across there, put bait every six feet, and some catfish is going to run into it. I mean, sooner or later. And they're just throwing these out there, hoping if somebody says, well, that's my problem, and then you'll go to this church. I, I appreciate that. I really do. But I want to tell you something. I sat there and listened to that thing, and I thought to myself, if this is what Christianity is today, I, I know why people don't want to go to church. This was the goofiest, stupidest, lame brain stuff I ever heard in my life. And I'm, and I, I mean, and I'm not, they were nice guys, I'm sure. I wonder, I'm sure they're wonderful fathers, wonderful husbands. They're the greatest thing in the world. They need to go to barber school. <laughs> because every one of them taught. The one guy's up there and he's saying, uh, can we trust the Bible? That's a question. Can you trust the Bible? And on the back of the screen, they're flashing the NIV study Bible. Can you trust the Bible? One guy gets up there and he talks about he talks about he talks about why things happen to people. And he's up there and he's talking about how that why bad things happen to people. And he's saying, he's up there saying, I, I you know, people ask all the time about 9-11 and, and the great tragedy of 3,000 people uh, got killed in 9-11. And he says, he's saying, I'm sure. He says, people ask me all the time, why would God let that happen? And he says, I, I tell him, he says, I'm sure that God was up in heaven and he was weeping as those planes went into them towers. I'm thinking to myself, this guy goes absolutely nothing about how God judges nations. The Bible says the wicked shall be cast into hell and all the nations that have forgotten God. And this nation, as much as I love it and fought for it once and would fight for it again, has turned her back on God. And suffering now the rebuke of a holy God that is not going to allow. Every nation in time Israel got out of fellowship and got away from God in the Old Testament. God brought another nation in to judge them. And you know where those nations was? Same ones that flew those planes into 9-11. No, I'm sorry for the 3,000 people. I'd do anything in the world. If I would have had a knack gun, I'd have shot them down. If I'd been flying in a jet with you, we'd have knocked them out of the sky. But you know what? It is what it is. It is what it is. People don't understand today. These guys get up there and talk about, they talk about all, of the, all of these things. Not one of them believed. Not one of them could explain what happened to you the day you got saved. The guy that gave the message about, about salvation, I mean, it, I mean, this guy is so stupid, he trips over, must trip over cordless phones. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, it probably takes this guy two hours to watch 60 minutes. I, it was incredible. <laughs> uh, it was on and on, and it was the goofiest stuff that you ever heard. It had nothing to do with the Bible. I ain't kidding you. I mean, I, there's one guy, I think he thinks Taco Bell's a Mexican phone company. I mean, it just, it was the goofiest stuff you ever heard in your life. Ridiculous. And I'm thinking to myself, is this what Christianity has come to? 
where we give a lot of surface froth, but we don't understand. We talk about salvation, but if you were put on the spot, you couldn't explain those two verses because the very Bibles you preach from have taken the verse out because you don't know what to do with it. I'm going to show you what to do with it. I'm going to tell you what you do with it. Hey, when you really know what happened the day you got saved, Listen, when you really understand fundamentally what transpired in your life the day you got saved, you don't have to change the Bible. You just get saved and believe it, and the Bible will change you. But we're so busy changing what God said because we don't understand it. The Bible can't do its work on it. Now, let me give you some Bible this morning. Now, when it's talking about he that is born of God does not commit sin, I gave you just a brief understanding of it. You probably can pick it up already. When it's talking about he that is born of God does not commit sin, he's talking about your soul. Your soul has been cut loose. Your soul has now been sealed on the day of redemption with the Holy Spirit of God. Your soul cannot sin. That's your new nature, your, your new man, the righteousness of God in you. That's the fallen image of Adam restored to the image of God, and your soul cannot sin. So when he says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, he that is born of God did not commit sin, it's talking about your soul. When he says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, when he's talking about if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, he's not talking about your soul. Now he's talking about your flesh. He's talking about the old nature that will sin every day of your life if you give it the chance. The key word in first chapter, uh, first John 3, 9 is, he that is born of God does not commit sin. He that is born of God. My flesh was never born of God. My flesh is not born of God today. There's nothing good in my flesh. My flesh is the same flesh as Alvin Karpus and Pretty Boy Floyd. My flesh is the same flesh that Charles Manson has. My flesh is the same flesh that every hell-bound sinner's got on this planet. It's my soul that got saved. It got born again. And he that is born of God does not commit sin. My soul can't sin. Now, how, how hard is that? How hard is that? So because of that, we can't get that basic thing. Bible's got to be wrong, so we'll change it to practice. Yeah, we don't practice. Well, practice makes perfect, and that's why I got some perfect Christians here this morning. You've been practicing. My soul was born again through a new birth that made me a new creature in Christ Jesus. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. There's your flesh. All things become new. Now, see how it works? Now, I want to I lay out the whole process for you here. I do. I do. I, I want you to see this thing. Now, get this. Here's how it works. You have a body. You have a soul. And you have a spirit. I told you already, but just so we can get it all in, in a constant thing here, before you were saved, you had a body and soul that were stuck together. It's stuck together in sin. And your spirit was dead. Because of that, you could have no fellowship with God. Because of that, the Bible says that God doesn't hear your prayers if you're an unsaved man. Because of that, you can have no fellowship with God. You can have nothing from God. You get nothing out of the Bible. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. You don't have any of that. Absolutely no fellowship with God. No way. He's holy, and we're unholy. 
We're dead in trespasses of sin, but God made a way. You see, God loved man. And God, and, God, and God wanted, if God ever wept any tears, it wasn't at 9-11. It was when his son was hanging on the cross. Amen. And this country and this world around the world today has rejected that and made light of it and made fun of it and just about did everything they could to trash God and his word. But God made a way. And that way it was Calvary's cross where he paid the price for you and for me. Now watch how this thing develops. Then he promises us that the coming Holy Spirit of God is going to come when he goes back. That Holy Spirit of God is vital because that's the link that we're going to have fellowship with God with. Now, I remember a couple of Thursday night Bible scholars ago, I gave you in John chapter 16, I gave you the what? Seven things the Holy Spirit of God does for you. You should have those in your Bible. You add that in here now. Half of those things were things that he did after you got saved. But we have a problem, you see, because... uh, how does a holy God, how's he going to fellowship with a sinner like me? Why would he want to? How can he do it? But here's how it works. This is what God did to get around my sin issue, to restore that fellowship. At the instant of salvation, God takes the word of God and he quickens us. He takes that Operation made without hand. In fact, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 says, In whom also, here it comes, you're circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12 says, Buried with him in baptism. That's not water. Wherein also you are risen with him through faith of the operation of God. Operation of God. You see, at that split second moment when you trusted Christ, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 says that the Word of God is a sharp two-edged sword. He takes that sword, that Word of God, and he cuts through an operation made without hands called spiritual circumcision, pattern after the Old Testament, and he divides the flesh from the soul. Then he fills the soul with God's Holy Spirit, and then he seals it, Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 1. And that sealing of the Holy Spirit of God, now a holy God. He separated the filthy part and made a holy part. And now that holy God can fellowship with me through my soul where before he could not. Ah, but I still got a problem, don't I? So do you. My flesh. And I still got my spirit we got to talk about, don't we? Now here's how that works. Now that I'm saved, I'm going to give you, you sinner, son, and servant. Here's another one. I love this one. Saved, sealed, and sanctified. There you are. Now that I'm saved, sealed, and sanctified. Sanctified means set apart. We always use it as a term, be set apart from the world, and that's true. But in a pure pure biblical text, it's sanctified and set apart from your flesh. I'm saved, sealed, and sanctified. Now that I got those three things in my life, I have the ability to overcome everything in my life, even my flesh. You see... Before you're saved, you may have all kinds of problems. You do not have the ability on your own to get out of those problems. You may put a Band-Aid on the problems. You may, you, may, you, may, you, you may get away with it for a while, but at the end of the day, you're still the same person. You need something that's going to change your heart. And that is what salvation does. Salvation is what makes the difference between you being the old person and the new person and the process that you go through. 
the process that you go through. And now that you get saved, now you have the ability to overcome everything in your life. You now have the Holy Spirit of God living inside you. You now are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things become new. You now have the ability to get everything that God has and is inside you to deal with every problem you got. But you still got your flesh, you see. You still got your flesh. That's why we struggle. That's why you'll go out of here today with the best intentions to do what's right with God. This message will kind of wake you up a little bit and you'll go out of here and say, boy, I'm really going to, he's right. I'm going to really do what's right. You won't be out of here 15 minutes and you'll be thinking some old thought that you had before or doing this or thinking about that and be right back to it. It's a battle. Wouldn't it be great if you could just get saved and never have to worry about sin again? That would be wonderful. But unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. But you can't get to that point. And the way you get to that point is by understanding your spirit. Now, most people don't understand the spirit. Most people don't understand body and soul. We talk about terminology. I love you with all my heart. Really? This thing that pumps blood? I want to give you my heart. I don't know if I want it. I don't have a plastic bag to put it in. I want to give you a piece of my mind. <laughs> I love that one. Really? <laughs> I got a real small bag here. Put it in. Just give me the whole mind. I'll give you a piece. See, that's that stuff we talk about. It's like people says, she had a nervous breakdown. A nervous breakdown means you died. When your nerves break down, you're dead. But they don't know what to call it. So they call it a nervous breakdown. I had, she had a nervous breakdown. Somebody said he's got a virus. What's a virus? I don't know what he's got, but we use the virus. It's a catch-all word, see? We do the same thing. I love you with all my heart. Really? What's your heart? Somebody says, I, I got in my mind. Uh, really? You, why'd you hold your head for? How do you know that's where your mind's at? I know I got some other places where I think some people's <laughs> minds are. I won't bother showing today. Oh, you know, oh, my mind hurts. Really? Oh, my mind hurts. Really? Oh, my mind hurts. How do you know what's here? What is your mind? Somebody says, well, I, you know, I, he broke my heart. Really? With a hammer or what? What did he do with that thing? What heart? You don't, certainly don't mean this thing here pumping blood around you, do you? Where's your heart? I mean, if you get a heart transplant and you get somebody else's heart, oh, that can cause a problem, can it? If you don't understand my Bible. Hey, back in about 19, when I did the first heart transplant, I was at a pastor at a church. I was just, it was an underdog there, just kind of like a, a gopher. And... <laughs> The senior pastor and all these guys, they, he called a meeting because the, the theological issue had now come up. He just did the first heart transplant. And I, I swear to God, this is the absolute truth. He, the guy says, we had to have a meeting here because we now are faced with a, a, a theological dilemma. And I'm thinking, oh, what happened? You know, the Antichrist show up or, you know, you know. And he says, no. He says, we've had the first heart transplant. What is, we, mu- we must be prepared. I remember his word like it was yesterday. We must be prepared. To answer to our people, if a man was saved and he gets now a heart transplant of an unsaved person, is he still saved? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing what you're doing. I'm looking, I'm saying, what planet are you from? I mean, <laughs> I didn't know anything about the Bible back then and I knew that was goofy. I mean, I knew what I'm teaching you now when I was first six months of being saved. It isn't this heart. That's where they're at, boy, I'm telling you. And that's why they get to that point where they got to change it to practice or commit because they don't know what to do with it. Now, let me talk to you about your spirit. Your spirit, 
is like the rudder of a ship. That's the best way I can explain it. You see a big old ship out there that's four football fields long, and if you get underneath the water, there'd be a, a rudder about, oh, just, a, a, just a, a tenth of what the ship's length is. But that rudder turns left and right. And that rudder turns that ship whichever way it goes. That little rudder turns that big ship left or right. That's what it does. That's a lot what your spirit's like. Now, I haven't given you this verse yet, but uh, in 2 Corinthians, it's in 7. We'll get to it and explain it in detail, but I'll give it to you right now in 7.1. It says, therefore, having these promises, dearly beloved, here it comes, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness, here it comes, of the flesh, okay, and spirit, ah, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, I wonder why I didn't say soul. You know why I didn't say soul? Somebody just raise your hand and tell me now. Why? Sealed. Sealed. It's already holy. See that thing? You don't have to perfect the soul. It's perfected. But your flesh and your spirit, something else. Now, let's talk about your spirit. We have people all the time. You know, there's four spirits on this earth. One of them, three of them affect me and you. Uh, fourth one's an animal spirit, and it doesn't really affect us in any way, shape, or form. But you have man's spirit. That's the spirit that's in all of us. You have God's spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Ah, and then you have the unclean spirit or the devil's spirit. You see, as a Christian, your spirit is your free will. It really is. Your spirit is your free will. And your spirit decides which way your body, the ship, goes. You will line it up, if you line it up to God's spirit and God's spiritual things, then you're gonna, your flesh is going to do what's right. If you line it up to the wrong things of this world, then it's going to go the wrong way. Whatever you line your spirit up to, either the spirit of God or the spirit of the world, the flesh and the devil, it's where you're going to go. The things you read, the things you hear, the music you listen to, the people you hang out with, and the things you look at all affect your spirit. Now, in the Bible, we talk about heart and mind. In the Bible, your heart would be your soul, but your mind would be your spirit. The Bible talks about the mind of the spirit. And it, so it would be, your, it, it, it's which way you go. It's how you think. And you think based on what you put in your life. If you listen to garbage, you're going to be garbage. You're gonna, if you watch, look at garbage, then you're going to go toward garbage. You know, and when it comes to, and this is why he says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, it's the word of God that you cleanse yourself with daily and follow God's spirit. And then the Bible says, you renew the spirit of your mind, Ephesians 4, 23, on a daily basis. But you get to choose. You get to choose. It's your choice. It's your choice. I mean, free will is everything. And this is where, again, a Calvinist, somebody believes you're predestined to this way, you know, a Calvinist is somebody who, who never understood anything how he got saved. The only thing a Calvinist is predestined to is predestined to be stupid. <laughs> I ain't kidding you. I bet they ask for a price check at a dollar store. I mean, it, it, you know, they, they have no clue of what transpired the day you got saved. Nothing. 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 And it's your spirit is everything. When you lean your spirit toward the things of God, listen to the right kind of music, hang out with the right kind of people. Remember back, in, remember back with David and Saul? That David, uh, you know, Saul had those swings back and forth. On one moment he wanted to kill David, the one moment he's loving David. Don't you read back there it was because the spirit that he had at that point, 
that the Spirit of God left him and an evil spirit came and he wanted to kill David. And then when David came and played what? Music. The evil spirit left and the God spirit came back. Music affects the spirit. What you see affects your spirit. And that's why as a Christian you need to guard what you hear, what you see, what you read, and what you listen to as far as music is concerned because it, it, it affects your spirit. And that spirit like that rudder that turns that ship one way or the other. When you hear Benny Goodman play or, or, or Benny Goodman play in the mood, you don't think he's talking about in the mood for a prayer meeting. <laughs> the music tells you what it is. And yet when you hear what Danny spoke this morning, I'd rather have Jesus. It's kind of hard to get, get any kind of worldly arousement out of when you listen to that kind of music. You know why? It's your spirit. So what the world has done today, a Christian world has done today, and what the devil's done through them, he's taken Christian music that used to be solid old hymns of the faith, and now he's made them worldly and put them in a Christian book. And that's why you have such shallow Christians with shallow spirits because they not only have a shallow Bible, but they got shallow music. It's not hard to figure out. Now, we saw that 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So now we know we've got a body, soul, and spirit. We've pretty much defined that. We know how it's separated out. Now, watch. Here it goes. Let's continue on here. Now, we saw last couple of weeks that 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when you get saved, you lay a foundation. And that foundation we know now with Jesus Christ. And then as a wise master builder, you build on that foundation. We talked about it, gold, silver, gold, silver, uh, precious stone. Now, let me show you how the process should be. Now, we already know the day you got saved, the Holy Spirit of God came in, an operation made without hands took place, and it separated your soul from your flesh. He renewed your spirit and gave it life. He sealed your soul with the Holy Spirit of God. Now you're an old nature and a new nature, an old man and a new man. Now you have the ability to fellowship with God where before you didn't. The day you got saved and all took place, you also laid a foundation in your life. <clears throat> and now the rest of your life, you're going to build on that foundation. Let me show you how this thing works. Let me show you why people don't make it. And this is the exact same process when you start to work with people and help them. Maybe you don't give it to them all out at one day, but in your mind, this is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. If you don't come to the place in your life, ladies and gentlemen, where you understand how God looks at you and you understand how you view yourself in Christ, this is why you're not going anywhere. Now, here's the process. After salvation, you should get discipled. The basics of God and the Bible, that really what happened to you. Now, our discipleship lessons here that we did, we put together, I put together 35 years ago. And they're basically 10 lessons. Do you know what the first lesson is? You see, I practice what I preach. You know what the first lesson is? What happened to you the day you got saved? Because that's the first thing you got to know. I don't want you going anywhere in this church doing anything till you figure first figure out what happened the day you got saved because it's going to form the basis of how you look at yourself. And then down the line, now that I'm saved, what's my relationship to the Bible? Now that I'm saved, what's my relationship to the church? Now that I'm saved, what's my relationship to other Christians, my family, my giving, my government, my job, the other people in my life? You see, it forms the basic foundation after you get saved. That starts to feed the new nature. It starts to feed your spirit. At the same time, hook up with people who are like-minded, who love God, love the Word of God. They feed your spirit. 
Iron sharpeneth iron. We talked about it many, many times. Then, as you continue to grow spiritually, <clears throat> you start coming through the Bible, you start coming to Thursday night, start listening to what I say and coming over and talking to me. It's a natural process. You know the next thing you're going to do? You're going to find out that we start coming through the Bible once you get saved, once you get some fundamental things down. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says that there's seven things now you add to your faith. See, it's a building process. And when I work with people, that's why I try to get them discipled. Once I get them discipled, I don't know how many of you are already teaching to somebody the seven things that changed about you the day you got saved. We use it all the time. It's going to be a mainstay. Discipleship is part of that. And then there comes a point in your life where you, you, you graduate from that and you, you start to learn the seven things you have to add to your faith. You don't add these things to your faith. It's going to be a breakdown. See, the Christian life is not hard when you have a Bible that you believe. You start, you get saved, you understand that process, and then you begin to grow, you get discipled, and then the Bible says there's seven things you have to add to your faith. My, how much easier could it be? He even tells you what they are. He tells you virtue. He tells you knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity, Now, we don't have time to go through all of those today, but I'm telling you, I can sum it up for you. All those are character qualities of Christ that you build into yourself that affect your spirit that then affects the new nature and keeps you growing for the Lord and let that old nature just go away. Though it'll never completely go away, it'll go away. Then you continue to grow. You get the seven things you add to your faith. You begin to work those in your life. You begin to see those. And and I'll just say this, almost without exception, everybody in this church that came in and got saved the last two or three years, this is the process. You may not have known it. You may be in it right now and still not knowing it. But this is the process that you're in. This is the process that you go through in this church because it's the process the Bible says works. And we're here to help you. We're here to help you. In time, as you continue to grow, you know what you learn? You add seven things to your faith. You get a little more into the Word of God. You get a little more developed. You find there's seven things that God hates. Now, you know what you do with that once you get yourself to that point? You hate those things. You know why some of God's people can't ever get out of the sin in their life they're in? Do you know why? It's so easy. Whatever your problem may be, and I don't even know that you have one, but if you have one today, whatever your problem is, you will never get out of it or get over it until you hate it as much as God does. How much simpler can it be? And then you continue to grow. It wouldn't be fair to find out the seven things that God hates. Then you start coming through the Bible and you find out there's seven things that he loves. You love God this morning? Do you? Do you? Could you name the seven things that he loves? See how reality comes in? We love God. Oh, I love God. What are the seven things that God loves? Hey, can I got to go to the bathroom? Where is it? Is it out in the hallway? There's seven things that he hates, but there's seven things that he loves. And when you hate the things that he hates, you know what you'll do in time? Just guess. you love the things that he loves. As you grow, God begins to use you. Because Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says that God has begun a good work in you, performing under the day of Jesus Christ. As you grow, you'll learn how to do things because the Bible says, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And he takes those things and he continues to grow. 
as you keep yielding that spirit to God's spirit and the things of God, you start to put the Bible together and you see God's overall plan. Remember Bible basics? Bible basics was taking you. Now you look back on it, you see it. Bible basics was taking a bunch of you after you went through a lot of this stuff in a timely fashion, and then I added another piece of the puzzle, and I showed you God's plan on the whole Bible to beginning to end because you were now ready to get that and ready to grasp that because there comes a point in your life as you build this thing and you get it and you start feeding that spirit and you start getting the things of God that it builds you the right way. And as you see God's plan and what he's done and is doing, here it comes. In time, you get to the place, and most of God's people never get here. In time, you get to the place where you see yourself in this plan. And then the two areas come into focus. And this is where God's people have to get. And this is why this great verse, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new, becomes relevant. Because now you, you see how God views you in light of his word. And at the same time, you now view yourself in light of God's word and his plan. And this is why the third aspect of this perspective is ourselves. You have to see who you are in Christ. You do not understand who you are in Christ and see yourself until you understand what happened the day you got saved. You're a child of God. You're an aristocracy of heaven. You're a child of the king. You're going to reign with him someday. And you're, you're, in every sense of the word, it changed about you, all because that God came down and made a way. And that little operation of God made without hand. So yes, the Bible's true. He that is born of God does not commit sin. And yes, the Bible's true. We say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Because one dealing with a soul that was cut away and sealed and sinless, the other one's dealing with your flesh that will always give you problems. And the spirit in the middle is what you use to go back and forth by what you yield it to. And when you put it toward the things of God, then you live for him. When you put it toward the things of the world, then you live for the world. It's just that simple. And it's your choice. It's your choice. And you learn the greatest teaching in the Bible to us as Christians, that after you get saved, there's a way God looks at you. And when you understand how God sees you, and you view God the right way, and you know what transpired you, and you know now internally what transpired and happened, nobody will ever talk you out of anything spiritually ever again. You'll have the assurance. You'll have the self-confidence. You'll have the everything you need to know who you are in Christ, and no one will talk you out of it. Because you'll know now. You'll know now. And next week, after this introduction, I'm going to bring you through the seven things that changed about you the day you got saved. Bringing this whole thing of viewing yourself to a crystal clear focus. Seven distinct things changed about you the very instant you got saved that made you a new creature in Christ Jesus that old things have passed away. This lesson as today go hand in hand. And you'll use it every day in your own life personally. But if you're going to work with people, 
If you're going to try to help people get to the place in their life where they become productive for the Lord, I don't care what their problem is. I don't care if it's level one, level two, or level three. You will never get them past whatever they're struggling with till they first understand who they are in Christ and see themselves as God sees them and see themselves in the plan of God. And uh, if you're a young Christian here, uh, next week, uh, along with this week, boy, I'd get this down. Get whatever help you got to get. If you got to talk to me, if you got to bring it up Thursday night and a question and answer, whatever. I would not let these next two weeks escape you. And I, if you don't do anything else in your life, I would get this down. You got it as clear as it could ever be laid out today, and you need to get it. Now, if you're a little bit farther down the line and you're going to work with me or you're going to attend to work with me, you better get this down. In fact, if I were you, I'm just telling you now, if I were you, I'd pick me up a partner someplace along the line and I'd write me out. We don't after next week. I'd write me out a lesson on this. If you haven't already taught it or been teaching it, I'd write me out a lesson on this and I would start teaching it back and forth to somebody else that's going to do it so you can get it down because you are going to need this royally when we get to that point. You might as well get it done now and save yourself a lot of headache because you're going to have to understand how to use this. And you won't understand how to use it till you understand how it works with you. All right, well, let's have a word of prayer. As I said, that was more of a teaching lesson today. I got some little preaching into it, but <clears throat> uh, get it down. It ought to help you get where you're at. You ought to know out of here now, look at everything differently. If I can